Welcome to the Wonder by the Word podcast, where we walk through the Bible chronologically in a year. I'm your host, Brittany Rust, and on this podcast, I break down our daily readings from the Wonder by the Word reading plan and community so that we can all have better theology and grow in our faith. In case you're just now finding us, the Wonder by the Word plan can be found on version or on my website. Wonder by the Word is sponsored by Truth and Grace Ministries. Learn more at BrittanyRust.com. Hello and welcome to day 33 of the Wondered by the Word podcast and reading plan. We are in Genesis chapters 49 through 50 today, so we are actually finishing the book of Genesis. Yesterday we left off with Jacob blessing Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And in chapter 49, where we begin today, we're going to see Jacob bless his sons as he nears death. This was Jacob's last act as a patriarch and family priest, and also as the heir to Abraham and Isaac. He knew his lineage and he knew his legacy. And here he's going to prophesy blessings upon each son, one at a time. Yet not all are so much blessings as they are prophecies regarding what God will do with the tribes. Interestingly, this is the first declared prophecy through a man in the Bible, Up to this point, we had heard of prophecies coming directly from God, but not through a man. Now, first, Jacob will speak to Leah's sons and in order of birth. Starting with the eldest son, Reuben, he is the one who had slept with his father's concubine. As a result of his sin, the blessing and birthright usually meant for the eldest is spread out among the brothers. Jacob notes in reference to Reuben that he is unstable. And this isn't in some like crazy way, but the word unstable is pahaz. And it means that he was reckless, unbridled, and such behavior came with a cost. The tribe of Reuben never produced a prophet, a judge, or a king that we know of. And so Reuben is really an example of how the first can become last. In verse 5, Jacob speaks to then Simeon and Levi, the two brothers who killed the men of Shechem. And that's what they are remembered for. They are remembered for their sin. Specifically, anger is noted. They were two men led by anger. And as a result, Jacob says they will be divided. The tribe of Simeon started out from Egypt as the third largest tribe. But when we see them 35 years later at the second wilderness census of Israel, this is after the Exodus, 63% of the tribe perished and they ended up becoming the smallest tribe. In fact, they shared an allotment of land with Judah because they were so small. For Levi, the scattering became a blessing because of the faithfulness of the tribe during the rebellion of the golden calf in Exodus 32. Levites were scattered as a blessing throughout the whole nation of Israel. They were the priest. They received, you know, they didn't receive a a land. Uh, The Lord was their inheritance. And so both Simeon and Levi were scattered, yet one was a blessing and the other as a curse. Next is Judah. Now he wasn't exactly the, the greatest, right, of the 12. He wasn't great at the beginning. He did sleep with his daughter in law Tamar, who he thought was a prostitute. However, he did show better character when he offered to take Benjamin's place in prison. The blessing bestowed upon him reflects the grace of God to the undeserving. 
Now the prophecy over Judah is a description of Judah's greatest descendant, Jesus. Charles Spurgeon wrote, The dying patriarch was speaking of his own son Judah, but while speaking of Judah, he had a special eye to our Lord who sprang from the tribe of Judah. Everything, therefore, which he says of Judah, the type, he means with regard to our greater Judah, the anti-type, our Lord Jesus Christ. In the blessing, Judah essentially receives the leadership aspect of the firstborn inheritance. From Judah will come kings, including and starting with David and ultimately all the way to Jesus. He's also noted as a lion. And today we we hear the phrase and we declare, you know, that Jesus is the lion of Judah. Now for a moment, Jacob is going to skip birth order to stay with the sons of Leah. And the next two sons are the ninth and 10th born as Leah had them later in life. Zebulun was prophesied and indeed it happened that he and his tribe would dwell at the sea. The tribe eventually settled a piece of land sitting between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. Issachar, the other son of Leah, became one of the larger tribes, yet their size often lent to servitude to intruding neighbors. And one theologian put it this way, because he's referenced as a donkey. The meaning seems to be that Issachar was strong, but docile and lazy. He would enjoy the good land assigned him, but would not strive for it. Therefore, eventually he would be pressed into servitude and the mere bearing of burdens for his masters. Next, we look at one son of Bilhah, which is, you know, who was Rachel's maid servant, and his name was Dan. And we see two prophecies regarding him. One, he would judge his people. And one of the most well-known judges, Samson, was from the tribe of Dan. And two, that he would be a serpent. And the tribe of Dan often was a promoter of idolatry in Israel. They introduced idolatry in Judges 18. Jeroboam set up an idolatrous golden calf in Dan, and we see that in 1 Kings 12. And later, Dan became a center of idol worship in Israel, and we see that in Amos chapter 8. We then pivot from him, and we take a look at Zilpah's sons, who was the maidservant to Leah. Gad would go on to be oppressed by enemies, but also a strong military force. And Asher would occupy land that was good enough to bring not only necessities, but also luxuries. So we go from Zalpah, and then we go back to Bilhah. Her other son was Naphtali. Much of the ministry of Jesus took place in the region of Naphtali, and we see that in this prophecy. And finally, we arrive at Rachel's two sons. First, Joseph, who has the longest and greatest blessing. In fact, the word blessing is used six times. And we saw much of this blessing in the previous chapter with Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, something to note is that Joseph was described as a fruitful bough by a well. And it speaks of his being well watered and provided for in his deep and real relationship with God. And we have seen that throughout the life of Joseph. And it's noted here. And finally, Benjamin. This was the tribe with a reputation for fierceness. We see this in Judges 3. We see this through, you know, Saul in 1 Samuel, Paul in Acts. The cruelty of the tribe in general is seen in Judges 19 and 20. And so taking a look at those 12 tribes, the chapter concludes with the death of Jacob. And chapter 50 opens with the mourning of Jacob, first by his son Joseph, but then we read the nation of Egypt mourned for him as well. 
In fact, the people of Egypt spent 70 days in mourning for Jacob. And at the time for a royal, the protocol was 72 days. So Jacob was obviously greatly honored by the people there. And he only lived there for 17 years. So after this point, Joseph inquires to Pharaoh if he can leave and return to Canaan to bury his father. And he's given permission to leave for a period. So Joseph, all his family, and even many in Egypt travel with him. Verses 7 through 9 put it this way. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh. Did you catch that? And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. So this is indeed a testimony to the value of Israel and the love people had for him, not just in his own family, but it stretched far and wide. Israel was carried to Canaan to be buried in the same place as Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, and Leah. Now, after the burial takes place, the family returns to Egypt. Yet, Joseph's brothers were afraid that now Jacob was gone, Joseph would turn on them. In fact, they were so afraid they made up this story that supposedly Jacob made a request on his deathbed for peace. What does Joseph do? He weeps. It obviously hurt him that after all this time and all this grace, his brothers still doubted his sincerity. Yet he is patient and he puts them at ease. And then he ends with these words in verse 20. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. You know, Joseph recognized he wasn't God. And in fact, this shows that even with all the power he had, he had not allowed the power to go to his head or to his heart. No doubt all those years of infrastructure lended to such a humility. Joseph then declares that the evil intended by men were, you know, actually it was meant to be good by God. Evil had been done to him by his brothers, but the greater truth was that God meant it for good. One commentator notes, every Christian should be able to see the overarching and overruling hand of God in their life. To know that no matter what evil man brings against us, God can use it for good. Ultimately, our lives are not in the hands of men, but in the hands of God, who overrules all things for his glory. Amen. And the immediate good in this situation was that many would be saved, including the family. Now, as the chapter in the book closes, Joseph passes at the age of 110. He is placed in a coffin, but he's not buried. So for 400 years, his coffin remains above ground until he could be carried back to Canaan. Egypt wasn't his home, and he looked to the land God promised as an inheritance, and he looked at it in faith, and he believed that one day the people and his body would return to the promised land. That's where we end in Genesis. It's the end of the beginning. Remember, Genesis means beginning. It's the end of the beginning, and it's been a beautiful exploration through Genesis as we looked at primitive history, then we pivoted and looked at patriarchal history, 
And tomorrow we're going to pick back up. We're actually going to start in Exodus, but we're going to pick up with the people of God in Egypt hundreds of years later. And I'll see you then. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to Wonder by the Word. We are so grateful that you are here and I really pray that this episode left you with nuggets of wisdom, that you learned something new, maybe it challenged you, but ultimately that it encouraged you and inspired you to dive even deeper into the richness of scripture. If the Ministry of Truth and Grace or Wonder by the Word, the reading plan, the episode, all the resources have impacted you in any way, Would you please mind leaving a review, um, sharing this podcast with your friends, all of those little pieces of sharing and encouragement from your part go a long way to help the podcast get into further hands around the world so people can dive into scripture, engage with scripture on a more regular basis. You can also find us on Patreon, which would be a huge benefit to the ministry. And we just thank you so much for being a supporter. We'll see you next time.